It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how's it going? Oh, hi, Steve. I, I didn't see you there. You didn't see me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm right here. I'm on Zoom. <laughs> What's going on? Not much, not much. I'm very excited about today's episode. We've got a fun one today. We do. This was your idea. It was my idea. So if it dies, it's my fault. Wow. Such a positive person. No, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I have full confidence in my idea, Jer. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, you can find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, TheRushcast at gmail.com. Lex, of course, did the bass intro and outro. Follow or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Rate us, review us, trash us, do whatever you like. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you like. Do whatever you like. We're not here to tell you what to do. <laughs> Jerry, I hope you got an email for us. I do. This is from Brian, and it's about the Wreckers, which we uh, talked about in episode three of our Clockwork Angels episodes. Nice. It says, you guys introduced a really interesting angle on the story in episode three with Owen Hardy possibly drowning at the end of the Wreckers. Do you remember talking about that? Yeah, yeah, we did. Okay. You don't remember talking about that? I don't remember talking about the fact that he may have drowned. I think you're the one who said it. Really? I'm pretty sure you're the one who said it. Wow. Have drowned. Man, I should go back and listen to her episodes. I was hoping you'd keep that theory going because if you did, headlong flight makes a lot of sense as the final moments of life flashing before one's eyes. When BU2B2 with I still choose to live somehow reviving him, wish him well, coming to terms with ideas of revenge and forgiveness and the garden as acceptance. More about headlong flight. I know I've seen in some interview Neil saying that Gruber's idea of living it all again did inspire the lyric, and it stuck out to him because he said he'd never felt that way. One through line of all Neil's lyrics, say natural science, is living in the fleeting moment without nostalgia and regret, so that checks out. I was hoping you'd take one of my favorite rush moments that occurs right before the spoken word part in headlong flight. There's a chord, just an amazing bananas rush chord that they slam all at once and ride and riff on while the narrator speaks, leading into the solo. I love that part. And on the live version, you can see Getty wind up and leap into the air to land right when it lands too. It's so dope. <laughs> and speaking of that spoken word part, this song was an inspiration to me personally at a tough time in my middle age, as was Wish Them Well. I had a sticky note taped on my laptop that said, hey man, I would never trade tomorrow for today. So I would see it every time I opened it up at work or at home. And I've said before, a top 10 song for me in the whole discography. And one final non-headlong flight note. I too always thought it's amazing that Rush had an audience that wouldn't go en masse to the beer line or restroom when here's some songs from their new album. There's only one other I could think of, and that's Bruce Springsteen, whose latest work is as good to me as lots of his early stuff. Or maybe that's just me. And I know this is a pretty niche band, but I'm a big fan of a Britpop group called Suede, or the London Suede here in the States. Are you a Suede fan, Steve? I don't think I've ever heard Suede. I'm going to check them out, though. I don't think I've ever heard them either. They've been around since 1992. So not nearly as long, but came back seemingly from a creative dead end to put out a triptych of incredible albums very late in their career, starting in 2010. And like I said, that was from Brian. Thanks, Brian. That's awesome. I'm always looking for new music recommendations. So Suede is now on my list. Or the London Suede. Or the London Suede. I wonder if there was a band in the States called Suede and they had to change their name for 
American audiences. That's a cool band name. I bet you there was. Yeah. There would have to be. The other thing I love about that email is that he used the term rush moment. I think we've coined this new term. What do you think? (laughs) I think it's taken off, Steve. Yeah. You know, I think we have to list all of the rush moments we talked about. Oh boy. In the podcast at some point. Um, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like something we should do. Sure. Sure. So anyway, my idea for this episode, I love the rush origin stories that our guests tell us. Yes. And I thought it would be cool to get some of our listeners on to tell us their rush origin stories. Yeah. It's a great idea. After all, this is the rush fan cast. We should have fans be part of the show. Yeah, as much as we can. That's why we read the emails, right? Exactly, exactly. So, Jer, our first guest today is someone who's a Twitter follower of ours and also a longtime listener of the podcast, David Snyder, also known as Philadelphia Foodie. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here and honor. Thank you so much for inviting me. You're welcome. And you know what the question is we're going to ask you, David. What is your Rush origin story? How did you discover Rush? How did you become a fan? So, uh, I mean, a lot of people, you know, have sort of clean stories. I know, Jerry, when you, you got into it because, you know, Steve forced you to drive him to the Power Window show. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and then you were hooked from that moment, right? Uh, yep. But like, for me, it was a little bit different. I mean, first of all, I guess you could say, uh, you know, I got into Rush, you know, first because of a girl. A buddy of mine, Frank, uh, we, were, we were interested in these two girls in the high school marching band. And we showed up, you know, after practice one day to walk him home. And a friend of ours, Mike, who was the head of the drum line, he's like, what are you guys doing here? And we said, oh, well, you know, we're here to, you know, we were joking around. We're here to join the marching band, man. And he's like, seriously, because we need drummers. And uh, long story short, you know, we joined the marching band. And when you do that, your new religion is Rush and your new God mm-hmm. is Neil Peart. So, you know, that's sort of how it started. But, you know, when you when you get into a band, typically your entry point is whatever album is out at the time that you get introduced to them. And this would have been around like the grace under pressure time period, but that's not where we were introduced. A guy named Sean basically handed us a copy of uh, moving pictures and that's where we started. Then we went to exit stage left and fly by night. So, you know, we orbited in the um, sort of in the old Testament, you know, rush (laughs) sphere for, for quite a bit of time. In fact, so much so that like when, when power windows came out, I don't even remember even thinking about buying that album. It's because that's, that's what our universe was. But it's funny, like at that time, like I, I didn't get Rush. Like, I mean, I, it was part of my life and I was in the marching band as a drummer, but it wasn't until uh, it was like 11th grade field trip. We went to DC and I borrowed somebody's Power Windows cassette and I listened to this thing on the whole way down and back. And that's, that's basically when I got it. I mean, that's when I realized I, I could get more out of this band than just the music. You know, if I was open to, you know, letting myself be challenged with new ideas, you know, I could grow from this, you know, like it was like a, a good book or, or a mentor or something like that. And, um, you know, you guys talked about this in the first two podcasts. Like, I think that Power Windows is one of the most vastly underrated, you know, albums, you know, that Rush, Rush has made. To me, it's like this timeless existential playbook. Jerry, you said this, you know, that, that even though it's not 2112 or even, even Clockwork Angels with the themes in it, it is still, you know, I find to be a very thematic album and it's dark, right? And yeah. Rush has covered dark themes in, in other songs and other albums. But, you know, I think what makes Power Windows special is that it, in addition to those dark themes, it balances it out with 
these seeds of constructive ideas on how to navigate that kind of rough terrain. You know, you take a look at the lyrics of um, Big Money, and if you just read the lyrics, I mean, you want to drag a blade across your wrist, especially for like <laughs> 17, right? But like, you know, but when you listen to that song tonally, like there's optimism and, and positivity in it. I mean, just the the upbeat tone of it, you know, the s- screaming guitar that Alex sort of sprinkles in there. It's dark, but when, when you listen to that song, you want to jump up and, and tackle the world. You know, it's, it's funny when you said that my story was clean. I thought maybe your story was just going to be laced with profanity. I didn't know what was coming up. No, <laughs> no, no, it's just, it, you know, I didn't really start off. Right. At a, at a particular point. Yeah. Um, you know, I sort of grew into it. And then, you know, even the other parts of the songs in the album, I mean, they there's dark themes, but they're layered with, you know, ideas on how to how to be constructive about it. And so that I was hooked at that point. And then the next album I remember really anticipating was Hold Your Fire. And the first show I went to see was uh, Hold Your Fire in Pittsburgh, December of, um, you know, 87. So. So are those two albums your favorite two albums, do you think? Um, Hold Your Fire holds a special place for me because it was senior year, you know, and it's a time of, you know, optimism and hope. And even today, like if I want to teleport myself back to a time where I didn't have the weight of the world, you know, crushing my skull, I listen to that album and it transports me, I think, to a better, you know, much comp. Like when I'm getting my blood pressure taken at the doctor, I think about Hold Your Fire and, you know, blood pressure goes down a little bit. So interesting. Now you're a food critic in Philadelphia, David. Is that correct? Yeah, I used to be uh, a food critic for uh, a small independent paper, uh, city paper, and you know I've taught some wine classes and you know so forth. And I'm you know I'm a certified psalm and oh okay yeah. So you mentioned you had a story about Getty and wine. We'd love to hear it. Yeah, so um, you know, so it was May tenth, uh, twenty thirteen, Clockwork Angels tour it was a Friday. You know, normally around this time in my life, I'd go out to dinner by myself. You know, one of the restaurants I'd often go to is Bibu. And I sit at the counter and eat and bring good wine. It was a BYO. And uh, for some reason that night, I just didn't go. And I'm sitting on the couch scrolling through Twitter, you know, watching reruns or something. And across my Twitter feed comes a picture of Getty and Alex. They went to Bibu that night. Oh, wow. <laughs> and this is a restaurant six blocks away. And my head exploded. I mean, worlds collided, you know, you know, favorite band, you know, um, you know, food and wine. I knew those guys were, you know, wine lovers and stuff like that. And I was bummed. And not because... Not necessarily because I didn't get a chance to meet them, but, you know, this band, you know, has given me, and I'm sure a lot of fans, like, so much. It was a missed opportunity to give something back to them. It would have been great to, you know, send over some wine and, you know, or maybe pick up the check or something like that. So I was bummed. But, you know, when Getty was doing his big, beautiful uh, Book of Bass tour, I showed up, got the book, and I'm standing in line. And I handed him a bottle of uh, Bordeaux. It was a vintage, you know, Bordeaux, one of my favorite chateaus. And it was a bottle that had gotten me into wine. It was a 1996 uh, Chateau Lynchbosch. And um, I knew they were into wine. And so I thought he'd appreciate it. And a guy behind me snapped a picture. And Getty seemed to be pretty excited about it. Um, and he mumbled something. He said something like, um, you know, oh, great. You know, thank, thank you so much. This was, you know, so generous of you. And I was so nervous. I just, I didn't want to hold the line up. I just said, you know, thank you for, you know, everything you've done. Um, you know, it's the least, you know, least I could do. And, uh, but it just felt great to be able to, to give back, you know, to them. I just, you know, I'm, I'm sure you guys feel the same way. They've given so much and we've taken so much from them. Um, I just feel like I could never repay it. And, but at least I could hand Getty a bottle of wine and hopefully, hopefully enjoyed it. Yeah. And you can share something with him that means something to you. Right. They have shared what means so much to them to, with us. Right. Right. 
Yeah, no, I didn't get into the story with him. I just wasn't time to like why that bottle was important to me, but he didn't need to know that. It was, I was trying, giving, (laughs) you know, giving something of myself, you know, to him and hopefully he enjoyed it. You know, maybe he shared it with Alex or, you know, who knows, hopefully it wasn't corked. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sharing your story with us today, Dave. And thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care, guys. So, Jared, I don't know if you remember, David direct messaged me on Twitter and offered to take us out to lunch in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah, I do remember that now. That's right. We have to take him up on that, I think. It's not far from here. It's not far from here. We could just drive out to Philly one day. Two things I loved about his story. Number one is Power Windows was the album that really made it click for him, which I think is cool. Yeah, considering that he had heard previous albums, too. Mm -hmm. Like for us, Power Windows, well, for me, Power Windows was my entry into the world of Rush, but he had heard other albums Mm -hmm. or at least other songs, but it was Power Windows of all things that really clicked. It's amazing. That's great. So many people. That's the entry point. That's very cool. Yeah. And the other thing was giving Getty a bottle of wine. How great is that? I know. Getting your hero drunk. (laughs) How awesome is that? If we could only all do that. That's right. So, Jar, our next guest is another one of our Twitter followers and another longtime listener from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We welcome to the Rush Fancast, W. James Anderson. Welcome, James. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. You know the question we're going to ask. What is your Rush origin story? How did you find Rush? How did you become a fan? Oh, geez. I tend to bloviate. You sure you want to have me as a guest? (laughs) Well, it's too late now. You're a guest. Basically, my Rush origin story was when I started when my dad uh, let me go to a Kiss concert, of all things. So I was a Kiss freak as a kid, and Rush kind of took a while for me to become a huge fan. But the initial exposure was kind of the big brothers of all my friends and their stereo systems. You know how that goes. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends had uh, 2112, the tape. And I think to capsulate how Rush entered, and it's kind of like I've had wow moments with Rush. I've had weird moments with Rush, and I've had pleasant surprises. And hopefully I can capsulate all those. 2112 was obviously a wow moment. I think I was 9 or 10, and I just heard the first opening synth part, and that obviously, and then the guitars and everything. I'm like, what in the world is this? And then we listened to it and flipped the side over. And that was more like a weird moment. Years <laughs> and the other stuff. But that was the initial exposure to Rush. And when you said that you were first a Kiss fan, do you see Rush open up for Kiss? I did not. I, I saw the Destroyer tour, I believe, and Cheap Trick was their opening band. And when did you first see Rush live, James? Rush Live was Grace Under Pressure in Hawaii, actually. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is cool. That's a cool first Rush show, that's for sure. That was kind of a a weird time for my Rush exposure also, just because that was a whole keyboard era. Mm -hmm. Because it was so different, right, from 80s and 70s Rush. But uh, the pleasant surprise part of that, I guess, in those four albums where some Rush fans love to hate is just the lyrical content just got better and better and better. Live albums have been a huge 
influence on me also just because of going to kiss and cheap trick live in Budokan, um, both kiss one and live one and two, that kind of thing. So I, I stumbled across exit stage left and I started listening to that this morning. And then I went to different stages, which I heard your guys's tape on considering whether that is better, which is better. Right. Right. And I'm like, eh, I'm, I think I'm going to stick with exit stage left, but the, <laughs> What I kind of was leaning, you know, considering different stages, and I listened to it today. It was a pleasant surprise because the set list on that encapsulates so many great things. Yeah, that live album, different stages, really kind of sneaks up on you too, right? I, I remember going into that episode thinking, there's no way that this is going to be the, my favorite live album. And I think it, it, it is after listening to it. Well, and it's kind of funny, all the people in the auditorium, right? But then, like you guys pointed out, there's those people that are really prominent yeah. in it. Right. So it's like the personal. Right. Mm -hmm. A really funny moment was right after uh, Limelight when Getty, he just goes, hello. And then he goes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and beautiful. He must have saw somebody in the crowd or something. Well, James, we really appreciate you listening to the Rush FanCast, and thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story with us. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. So, Jared, James's story is one we've heard from quite a few people, the Big Brother story. The Big Brother story, that's right. Or the so Big Brother's friends, as James said. Right. There's something about Rush fans that makes them want to proselytize, right? They just want to tell other people about Rush. Because Rush is great. Yeah. And everybody needs to know. That's right. And the other thing I thought was cool was that James recently discovered different stages and really loved that too. So, which kind of, so did we, right? Yeah. Because I hadn't really listened to different stages in a long time until we did it for the podcast. And I think it's my favorite live album. Me too. Me too. So Jar, our next guest is from Southern New Hampshire. She's the creator of the Rush Girls Rock Instagram page, Melanie Hitchcock. Welcome to the Rush FanCast. Thanks for having me. You know the question we're going to ask, Melanie. What is your Rush origin story? How did you become a fan? Okay, well, it's, it's how a lot of women become fans, which is they are dragged to a concert by their boyfriend. So this is for the counterparts tour. So this is 94. Actually, before I'd even gotten to the concert and met the guy, somebody said, oh, you got to meet this guy. He's great. He loves this band called Rush, and he's kind of crazy about it, so you should probably listen to you know, some of their music, which I did. They gave me a tape. It was Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres, I'm pretty sure. And I listened to it in my car and went, no. <laughs> I mean, I think I was still wearing my Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Aerosmith shirts at that time. Like, this isn't going to work. But I met him and he was he was cool. And I'm like, he's like, you want to go to Rush concert? And I'm like, oh, OK. And um, it was at the Worcester Centrum in Massachusetts. And I clearly remember buying the tickets because the day before we had to get wristbands. I think it was like Ticketron. I mean, back in the day where you had to get the wristbands so you could get first in line. So I did that with him in the freezing cold. And I'm like, this, this better be worth it. And uh, we went in March of 94, and I was blown away. I couldn't believe that I was only three guys on the stage, and I was really impressed with the production, and I just kind of got hooked from then on. 
it's a love that has built through the years. And then did you go out almost immediately and start buying albums? I actually didn't. I was a poor college student. I, I couldn't afford to buy anything. So he was making uh, copies of CDs onto tape for me. And eventually I did buy CDs and get into it. But, you know, it's really not until the last year where I've actually had the money to finish the collection and, and the books and, and you know, start the vinyl collection and everything. So it's been a long time coming. So tell us how you got the idea for the Rush Girls Rock Instagram account. Okay, well, in my previous life, I was a magazine editor and I was, I was playing around with whether or not I wanted to put the magazine on Instagram. And I was like, well, I got to figure out how to use this. It, it, it was completely clumsy to me. I, like, I have no idea how the hell to use this. But also, you know, Neil had just died because I started in May 2020. And I had a very difficult time processing that. And I, you guys have talked a lot about it on the show. And you know, everybody starts off with, I feel so stupid and it's so crazy. But I'm one of those people that just, I think from the day I found out for the next six months, not a day went by without listening to Rush. I just, just dove right in. And so that was a way to actually connect with other Rush fans. I don't know many Rush fans. I only know like two female Rush fans. And I'm like, let's see what, you know, what happens. Like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Nobody likes my stuff. Fine. And then it, it grew and like surprised the crap out of me that, you know, I've met so many great people and so many generous people in the past since May 2020. So it's been great. Yeah, there definitely is a Rush community, right? It was something I was unaware of until we started this podcast, believe it or not. I knew there was a community. I mean, I, I knew of a community because every time you meet a Rush fan, it's like a, meeting a long lost friend. And I see people with Rush shirts on and I stop them in the middle of the street and say, where did you get that shirt? Are you a fan? What concerts have you seen? So I knew there was some type of community, but no, I was blown away um, by just, I don't know. Everybody feels so connected and I've never met um, an asshole Rush fan. Maybe I will, but People just very generous and very open. And, you know, I've gotten very personal on my Instagram page and people have been very supportive and have sent gifts and have just reached out. And it's been amazing. I mean, as, as hard as it's been since the pandemic started for me, it has been amazing at the same time. Well, meeting Rush fans like you, Melanie, has been amazing for us as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story and for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. You're welcome. Here's another Rush origin story that most females seem to have, Jer, the boyfriend. The boyfriend story, right. You know, I took a, a girlfriend to see Rush. She, she was not. <laughs> <laughs> she was not impressed <laughs> by the band. So she's not on a Rush podcast right now telling her Rush origin story about you introducing her to Rush. No, I just, just didn't. I think uh, she probably enjoyed it but it just didn't ever didn't stick like it did with Melanie. Yeah. And Melanie didn't get it when she heard the songs on the albums, but when she saw them live, bang, that was it. Yeah. That's just amazing. I mean, it's, I could definitely relate to that story because that's what happened, you know, with me seeing mm -hmm. them live for the first time that really just blew it out of the water. So I could definitely see where you'd go into something just a little blind, mm -hmm. but then just immediately be drawn in. And if you don't follow Melanie on Instagram, make sure you do. She is at Rush Girls Rock. Great, great Instagram account. Check it out. Yep. So, Jared, our next guest is from San Mateo, California. 
Twitter follower and listener of the Rush Fancast, Andy Courtright. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Glad to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. No problem. You know the question we're going to ask. What is your Rush origin story, Andy? How did you become a Rush fan? I always find it interesting. Everybody has a different story, right? And I don't know how common or unique mine is, but in the late 70s, I was in high school. My brother was in college and he would come home from college and he would expose me to different kinds of music. You know, he went away to college and really discovered a bunch of stuff like Yes and Genesis, you know, bands like that, Sticks, REO, Speedwagon. And he'd bring it home and I'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like that, you know. But one year in May of 78, he came home from college and I was under direct orders that I had to listen to six records, one record per day for a week. And at the end of that week, he and I and our sister were going to go up to Alpine Valley in East Troy, Wisconsin. I lived in Chicago then, grew up in Chicago. And we we're going to go see this band Rush. And I'm like, right, I'm up for a concert. Great. Let's let's get into it. So first day, Rush album. Great. Listened to it. Liked it. Unique voice in Getty, right? Mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin sounding. You know, I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. And then he goes, okay, tomorrow you come home from school. We're going to listen to the next album. Next album, Fly by Night, of course. Sounds a little bit different. Uh, maybe not as Led Zeppelin-like. Getty's voice is still what it is. Drumming sounded a little bit different. I noticed that. And in those days, you know, like the, the record would come with a sleeve and, and Neil's handwritten lyrics were on Fly By Night, right? On the album. Mm-hmm. So I got to follow along with the lyrics. It was clear to me on day two, Fly By Night, the lyrics were quite different than the first album. <laughs> and my brother told me, oh, the drummer is writing the lyrics now. They got a new drummer. Drummer sounds different. Lyrics, drummer writing the lyrics. Great. Then um, third day, Caressive Steel. Well, he didn't have Caressive Steel, but it, but what Rush did in after 2112 was a success, they reissued their first three albums in a three-album set called Archives. Mm-hmm. So he had Caressive Steel's in Archives, but it didn't come with the lyrics. The Caressive Steel album had the lyrics, but he didn't have it. So I couldn't really follow along the lyrics there, but I knew Caressive Steel on that third day was different. <laughs> you know, I think I'm going bald, the necromancer, fountain of lamnath. I couldn't really follow along with the lyrics. So it was kind of weird. And I knew it at the time, but I, I still kind of liked it. And I'm going along with this. And, and then on fourth day, 2112, you know, mind blowing, you know, the story, you know, that one, you know, you could follow with the lyrics. And like before each song, there's a little preamble about what the song is about or what the part of 2112 is about. You know, so following along, love the story of 2112. I was sold with 2112, 100% in on this band. They were unique. They were hard driving, clearly great musicians. And I was sold that fourth day. Feral the Kings, another leap forward for the band, different Xanadu, great song. I remember loving that when I first heard it. And then he played All the World's a Stage on the sixth day, you know, to give me a sample of what Rush was like live. And then we went and saw him live on that seventh day. And, and it was the last concert of a Farewell to King. Well, they didn't really call it, I think, a Farewell to Kings tour. I think they called it the Archives tour, that archive album mm-hmm. tour. But it was the last concert of that tour. And it was, I mean, I'd only been to one concert before that, Sticks. 
in comparison, this one blew sticks off the charts in terms of what the concert was. It was just a great concert visually, musically, and not really knowing of Rush before that. I was surprised that this outdoor venue was filled with 10, 15, who knows how many thousands of people that apparently knew of Rush, and now I did. You know, so that's my origin story. But the interesting thing was, in the next few months, I bought all the albums, tried to get information about the band. Of course, no internet in the late 70s, right? Rolling Stone didn't cover Rush back then. The only source of information I had was like magazines. And it seemed like the, the only place I could find a Rush-related story was in Circus Magazine. Mm. I don't know if you guys remember that. Oh, yeah. 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 And they covered Rush pretty well. They gave you previews as to what the band was doing on the road. They showed you, you know, what they, the album they just recorded. So you got pictures, you got information, but it was pretty scarce. But during that time, three, three months, four months after that, they were out recording Hemispheres in only three or four months. Hemispheres came out in October, late October of that year. And I remember hearing on the radio, oh, the new Rush album is coming out. So every day for a week, I went to the record store and, oh, first day, no, it's not here. We don't have it. Second day, don't have it. Third day, fourth, you know, they're probably going, who the hell is this guy coming in every <laughs> every day looking for a Rush album? Finally, they had it in and I got it. But, you know, every Rush album that came out after that, I got on the first day, you know, devoured the album, tried to figure out what my favorite song was, you know, tried to make sense of the rest of them. It just was that that origin was the beginning of literally a impactful lifelong relationship with this band. It's incredible. And the more stories I hear from you guys and your podcast and other people that I've met, I don't think there's any other band that really has that kind of relationship with their fans. Just how impactful it is. Yeah. It's almost like your brother was giving you like an advent calendar of Rush albums, right? To discover. Yeah, definitely. He knew that they were special before I did. And he shared that with me and, and we shared that together. We went, you know, to concerts together. We talked, you know, extensively about Rush. You know, we got excited, you know, about him. I got my Neil Peart drumstick here that, you know, we went to the Signals tour, Chicago, November 82, I think it was. And after the show, we just kind of hung around. We're chatting about the show, watching them break down the stage. And one of the stagehands yelled up at us on the side of the stage and said, hey, incoming or something like that. And he ripped the drumstick <laughs> at us. And I still have it today. You know, every time I look at this Neil Pure drumstick, I get inspired by it. I go, that guy put everything he had into what he did. You know, I can do the same in my life. You know, it's, it's not only the music, but it's his lyrics as well that inspire me. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story with us today, Andy. We really appreciate it. And thank you so much for listening. Yeah, it's like I say, it's a great podcast to listen to if you're a Rush fan. And, you know, there's not that many people out there in your everyday life that uh, are Rush fans. So it's good to connect with people through your podcast. Well, thanks for connecting with us today, Andy. We really appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Now, I love this one, Jer. Listen to one Rush album a day for a week and then go to the show. Right. Sounds like homework, you know? Yeah, but the best homework ever. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would be. <laughs> Just listen to this music every day for a week. Andy may not have realized it at the time, but it was the greatest homework he ever had. 
Yes, the, the most influential homework assignment ever. And the other thing he mentioned, which I thought was interesting, was Circus Magazine. Rush was very prominent in Circus Magazine back in the 80s. They were. You know, I go to a lot of estate sales, and I see old magazines and old newspapers and things like that that people have kept for decades, like, you know, 60 years sometimes. I have never seen any rock magazines from the 70s or 80s. I'm always looking for them because I always want to find one that has Rush in it. And you can't find one. Can't find them. So I don't know what, what that means exactly. I've never found a circus magazine. Email Ray Warzniak. Maybe he'll send you one. <laughs> yeah, he has some. He's got all of them. He's got all of them. That's right. So, Jar, our next guest, you know very well. He's from the Rush Fans Instagram account. He's one of the admins. His name is Ryder Heideck. Welcome to the Rush Fancast, Ryder. Hey, how you guys doing? We're doing great. You know why you're here to tell us your Rush origin story. How did you discover Rush? How did you become a fan? So Rush has always kind of been a presence in my life. My dad has been a mega fan of the band. All his brothers were fans. It was always like a point where if we were at like a family party, someone would always ask, hey, what's your dad's favorite band? And I go, uh, Rush? And it was just, it was always something that was around. But the first time I ever like listened to them really on my own, one Christmas I had gotten the video game Rock Band 4 for Christmas. On there, in the initial lineup of songs, was a passage to Bangkok. And that song was always my favorite. I loved playing it on the drums. I tried to do it on guitar. It was just a lot of fun. I wouldn't even dare to touch it on vocals. But other than that, it was just a fun song to jam out to. And I was like, oh, it's Rush. My dad really likes these guys. And that was really all it was. It was like, it was like, uh, it was passage to Bangkok and Tom Sawyer. That's really all it was. But then... On the last day of summer going into my junior year, that was the day Cinema Strangiato was happening. And my dad was like, hey, me and some of my buddies are going to go out and see it. Is there any chance you want to go? And I'm like, well, I have nothing going on my last day of summer. Why not? And so I went there and I was just hooked in with the performances. The songs I really remember from it were, uh, I think it was Jacob's Ladder. Roll the Bones, I was really into Roll the Bones because I was like, oh, I know those people from the celebrity rap music video. I'm like, if Paul Rudd likes Rush, then I should like Rush. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was it. And I just started listening to the music more and more. My dad kept showing me stuff. And then eventually I was a super fan. I got really into Getty Lee. Uh, like I'm a bass player. I didn't say that earlier, but yeah. And his playing completely changed how I saw the bass, introduced me to that flamenco technique of his. I self-taught myself drums with Rush and started learning some of the guitar solos and stuff. And it was just really important for me as a musician. Then comes my, I think it was my 17th birthday. My dad got me tickets to go to the big, beautiful book of bass uh, book signing in Pittsburgh. And I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to go like meet Getty Lee. But sure enough, it was a few days after my birthday. We drive down there. We go to this Barnes and Noble and he's just standing right there. And we were one of the last people in line. It just took forever. Everyone was freaking out. It was great to actually, this is the first time I ever like met Rush fans in public. And um, I eventually get up there. I'm standing in front of Getty Lee and I, I usually don't get like, it's almost like stage fright. I don't get that anxious when it comes to like meeting performers and stuff. I've been playing music for years and stuff like that, but I was just frozen. And I was like looking down at the ground and we had to give Getty like a little card that said like, it was like, what from it? It was like what uh, our name was and like what we wanted him to write on it. 
And he saw that I was like being like that. And he was like, Ryder, it's really great to meet you. And I look up and I'm like, basically I said, listen, I've only been listening to your music for a few months, but it has everything that I know about playing music, musicianship as a whole. And I just go on and he's like, oh, that's great. What kind of instrument do you play? And I tell him I play the bass and he really liked that. He was like, what kind of bass do you play? And I was talking to him and told him I was saving up for a Fender Jazz. And we were just sitting there just talking about music and stuff. It was so cool. Like that's Getty Lee. I was just sitting there having a conversation with him. I gave him a fist bump and then I left. And that right there, that moment of actually getting to meet Getty Lee and sit down, talk with him. I'm like, that's it. I'm a Rush fan forever. I'm never going to be able to not be one just because it was so cool to meet probably the most influential musician in my life. And just what, that music has done for me. It's just completely set it in. And now I'm one of the head admins on the Rush fans Instagram page and all that other stuff. Been on Rush Roundtable. I've been on Rush Roundtable with you guys. And it's just been such an amazing thing in my life. Just this one band uniting everybody. I think that's the coolest thing about being a Rush fan. The interesting thing is that you had like a conversion moment when you saw a live concert film as opposed to just a live concert. Yeah. <laughs> Where a lot of Rush fans go to the concert for the first time. They're like, I cannot believe what I'm seeing. But you had a, a different experience, the same kind of experience, just in a different place. Yeah. And that's what that was what was really weird. Like everyone's like, oh my God, Ryder, you're such a mega fan. You must have saw them on all the tours since you've been alive. I'm like, I've never seen a single Rush show. The yeah. only the closest thing I ever got to is Cinema Strangiato in 2019 and this year. That's all I've been able to see because I became a fan so late. And how old are you, Ryder? Uh, I'm 18. Wow. So you really didn't have a chance to see Rush live. Last time they played, you were what, 12? Something like that. Yeah, because I was born in 2002. I was actually the reason my dad missed the Vapor Trails tour. (laughs) 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 I'm sure he brings it up all the time. I was like, hey, I was like, you saw every single uh, tour since Grace Under Pressure, right? And he was like, yeah, all but one. All but one. We've had a couple of listeners tell us that you can't be a real Rush fan if you've never seen them live. And I think you're living proof that that is absolutely not true. Not at all. Yeah. And you never had the opportunity and you never will, but you're a bigger Rush fan than than most people we've met. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I'm known as like, what is it? Whenever whenever I look at the comments of like the Rush roundtables, I always see like that rider duty has like the weirdest rush taste i'm like yeah my favorite albums are like signals presto and test for echo (laughs) (laughs) and that's what's cool about it it's just like being able to like be a younger rush fan and having a different perspective on everything and like telling people like hey you gotta revisit this one or maybe you gotta give this one a second chance something like that well you know because you don't have the prejudice of being exposed to a certain album at a certain pivotal point in your life I don't know. We're exposed to all of them basically almost at the same time. Yeah. I mean, my rush library on Amazon music for like three months was passage to Bangkok, Tom Sawyer, new world man and roll the bones. (laughs) (laughs) I think that was it. And I I remember texting my dad and I think, I think roll the bones is my favorite rush song. He's like, really? (laughs) (laughs) He's probably thinking that's blasphemy. Yeah. Oh my God. Well, Ryder, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story. We really appreciate it and have a great day. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. I just think it's great that Ryder has that relationship with his dad and that connection 
with his dad through Rush. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just one, again, it's one of those things where you just feel the need to share something with someone else. Mm -hmm. And as parents, you always want to share the things you think are cool with your kids. And a lot of times it doesn't, uh, doesn't come across as too cool. <laughs> but Ryder thinks it's cool. But Ryder thinks it's cool. He thinks, he thinks Getty's cool. He loves Getty. And uh, he and his dad can always talk about Rush if uh, you know conversation gets stale. Yep, and Ryder really squashes the theory that if you've never seen Rush live, you can't be a real Rush fan. I mean, that is crazy. I hope we've squashed that too, Steve. Yeah, yeah. But the cool thing is he got to go see Cinema Strangiato and sort of experience Rush live on the big screen. Yeah. I mean, you're in a room full of Rush fans watching a concert. It's the next best thing. Yeah, that's great. That is very cool. Yeah. So, Jared, our final guests, we've got a couple for their Rush origin stories. How exciting is this? Yeah, a duo. A duo from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Tina and Lawrence, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thanks, guys. Hey. Tina, why don't we start with you? What is your Rush origin story? How did you become a fan? Okay, so it's a little bit complicated, but it takes place in two parts. So I was married to a guy in the 80s who loved two bands. And one of them I loved, too. And we went to concerts, and we loved this band. And then the other band, I'm like, you can go on your own. Have no interest in them at all. So Blue Oyster Cult, we went to all those concerts. Rush, he went on his own. And I had no interest in Rush. I I didn't understand why all these guys in their T-shirts were going to the Forum, because I grew up in Los Angeles, why they were heading to the Forum in droves every other year to go see a concert. Didn't really get the music, didn't really understand it, and was totally lost. But boy, I love Blue Oyster Cult. They were great, which is ridiculous now looking back, because I never saw Rush in the 80s, never saw Rush in the 90s. He saw every concert. And the music was always playing in the house in the background, but I was never a fan. And then in 2010, I was in Albuquerque. We had split up. He was long gone and I was here. And a friend of mine from work said, hey, I got an extra ticket to Rush. Do you want to go? And I said, absolutely not. I have no interest in that band. I don't like the music. I don't get it. Nothing. So she dragged me anyway. And probably halfway through when they started playing moving pictures front to back, I just started crying and it made no sense. And to this day, people around us were like, did she just have a breakup? Did something <laughs> happen? So did she have a bad, did she get fired? And, and she didn't know what was going on. And I didn't know what was going on. But all these memories came flooding back of the hours I spent listening to Rush in the 80s and 90s and never realizing how much it registered. So it just really, it, the whole rest of the concert was just really overwhelming. And then the next day I was all over YouTube I was getting albums. I was trying to catch up on all these years I missed with Rush that I thought was just a bunch of guys in their T-shirts and jean jackets going to see Rush. (laughs) And I had no interest in no understanding of it. And then it hit. So just seeing them live and everybody says that seeing them live changes things. And it did. It was a completely different experience. Plus, the the music had a lot of memories that I hadn't even attached to my life. And so I've been a crazy fan ever since. That's been 11 years. And of course, Time Machine started in Albuquerque. So I saw the first show of the Time Machine tour and it just, it set me off in a totally different direction in my life. I've been a huge fan ever since. Wow. So Lawrence, can you top that story? What's your Rush origin story? <laughs> so my Rush origin starts early 80s. My older brother was a rock and roll guy, um, guitarist, and um, he used to 
you know, taped the live radio shows like WNEW in New York with Carol Miller. And he was, we were taping, you know, normal night and the devil went down to Georgia was on. We knew that songs were, would jam into it, you know, and then it ends spirit of radio comes on. We had no idea that a, a whole new song had started. So we're listening. We're just jamming along. He's taping it. Getty starts singing. And we're like, what? And, you know, as each, the song went on, we were like, what is this? Oh my God, what is this? So we stopped the recording as soon as the song ended because all Caramilla said was your Tuesday Night Rush. Didn't say what song it was or anything, but we played that song about 20 times that night over and over again and just getting into different parts. Alex's solo at the end, all this crazy stuff. Next day, my brother ran out, bought as many albums as he could. I think he only bought Moving Pictures and Fly By Night were the only two available at the record store. And the record guy was like, yeah, I got to order some more for you. Spirit Radio was on neither of those albums, so we were going crazy, but we just got so into them, the musicality, the lyrics, that was it. That was my journey ever since. That was, I think it was 90, uh, sorry, 83 when I got into them, 82, 83. I'm not exactly sure in the timeline. I just know that, you know, Spirit of Radio was the first ever Rush song I ever heard. And we actually thought Getty was a female. <laughs> and Rush has continued to play an important part in your lives together right both of us yeah um we actually got together because of the rush family on twitter i put this desperate tweet on twitter after coming out of a bad relationship i was like that's it i'm no longer going to be with someone who doesn't align with me as far as my musical interests and other things and i just threw this tweet up there just you know hoping just to make really friends not really looking for anything and she replied in, in the tweet, and that was it. That, that was it. That was the 15th of September 2020, and we got married on the 15th of September 2021. Wow. Yeah, congratulations. One year. Congratulations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you look on my Twitter profile, you can see that it's a pinned tweet, it's the top tweet. Um, and I, uh, you know, it was a joke about female Rush fans. Do they actually exist? Because that's what I'm looking for. And she replied, do they exist? Of course they do. And put the little meme with the guys, you know, making the joke. I saw seven women in the audience today, you know, and that right. that's really what drew me in was like only real Rush fans know that inside joke, especially the females. And I like it took me like five minutes to DM her. And <laughs> we've just been, you know, we've been ever since. ever since we've been together. That's basically it. So, Tina, what was it? Do you, have you ever been able to go back? in time and analyze that concert to figure out why it suddenly clicked then? I think what was odd is that moving pictures was in order. So when I heard it, it was literally like one of those weird flashback things where you heard something you always heard. It was always on the CD player. You know, when I first moved out and when I first got married, he was always playing that album. And it just, I think it literally, it's like one of those hypnotist things where it triggers something in your head and you just remember you know, being in grad school, living in your first apartment, having your first grown-up life experience, and it all came flooding back, like to good times, right? And I never thought, I never tied those tunes to my life at the time and how good and easy it was compared to it is, you know, the rest of your life. But it really just threw me right back to the 80s. And I just, I had a flashback and it just, just hit me. So that's what so happened. So you're like a Rush Manchurian candidate. I was going to say Manchurian <laughs> candidate. I didn't know if that was too much of a, a, 
unusual reference, but yeah, that's exactly what it was. There, I was activated at that point, and then uh, I became a fan. So that's what happened. And she did have a secret crush on Hold Your Fire that she never really let many people know at the time. Oh yeah, because I always listened to like I became an Amy Mann fan because of that album. I've seen Amy Mann more times than I saw Rush, so oh. there was always a connection there. So here's the question I have: Did your wedding vows include any Rush? Was the sphere in there at all? <laughs> Yes, of course, there was some rush in the wedding ceremony, but um, he said, normally I would include a reading at this point, but I was asked a special request to do a different kind of reading. So he just read Ghost of a Chancellor. It's- oh, wow. So that's our song. Yeah, we've always connected, you know, just about our pairing, how, you know, we don't believe, because we're not religious people, we're not, mm-hmm. you know, even the spiritual types, we, we have, we've, we align politically, we align Religiously, musically, yeah. you know, even the types of movies that we watch and our goofiness. Um, so Ghost of the Chance was one of those songs that, you know, yeah, you know, it made so much sense to us. Our whole lives, we, we, we never really tied, you know, had a connection to that song. Great song. But all of a sudden it was like, yeah, that's, that's our song. Yeah. And she surprised me with that. I did not know. I really had no clue. And, and behind the scenes, she talked to the reverend and he threw that in there. And I was, I was falling like a baby to be honest with you. I paid him an extra 25 bucks to do the lyrics. <laughs> so, Reverend Bruce did us a good, a good favor. And now he's a rush fan. Yeah. <laughs> when I wrote him the email, he said, Oh, Getty Lee, Neil Peart. Got it. No problem. So, <laughs> I think he already knew. So. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Tina and Lawrence, congratulations again on your nuptials and thanks for joining us on the rush fan cast. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate you joining us. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Have a good night. Have a good night. So, Jared, Tina and Lawrence's story is incredible. They met a year ago on Twitter, and now they are married. Yeah. I mean, it's something that can only happen in 2021, right? Yeah. The thing that really jumps out at me is that my experience, I know you're not on Twitter a lot, but my experience is that the hashtag Rush family mm-hmm. on Twitter is a very, very positive group of people. I don't see any negativity on there at all. And that's different from Twitter in general? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really? Oh, yeah. Forget, (laughs) if you start talking politics on Twitter, I mean, people just get nasty. Yeah, I can imagine. But when you're talking about Rush, it's all good, man. Yeah, it's like talking about flowers. Yeah. Who's going to argue with you about flowers? No one's going to argue. And the cool thing is that Tina and Lauren started this conversation on Twitter. Then they decide to meet up. And the next thing you know, they're in love and they're married. It's great. Right. And Rush is a a part of their wedding ceremony. Just amazing. Congratulations again, Tina and Lawrence. That is a, a great, great story and a great way to wrap up this episode. How do you think it went? I think it went great, Steve. It's nice to, uh, you know, hear people's stories. Usually we get them in, in emails, but it's nice to see people's faces while they tell their stories because everyone's just so happy to tell other people about Russia. Just like I said, proselytizing. Everybody has a story, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, I can't tell you the first time I ever listened to the Rolling Stones, right? Why not? You're not going to tell me? I don't know. I don't I have no <laughs> idea. I just, it's just not something that, I don't have a, I don't have a kind of story for just about any other band. I just don't have the story. Do you know what I mean? That's true. But it seems like 
every Rush fan has a story about how they got into Rush. Yeah, we've never asked someone and they say, well, I don't really remember, man. Right. Everybody has something. And it's because Rush means more to them than most bands mean to most people. And it really was great just meeting some of our listeners. And I hope we get to meet them all. Yeah, that'd be a long podcast. Well, not not all at once. <laughs> oh, not all. Maybe we do this again and we have six more listeners on and we we keep going. That's right. I thought maybe they could all call in at once. We'd have them all on one gigantic Zoom call. It would just be a cacophony for 40 minutes. That's what we should do. Send out a Zoom link to our, our entire email list and let's see what happens. Right. It'd be like listening to metal machine music or something. Just wall of noise for 20 minutes. And the other thing I noticed, we didn't get the Columbia House story today, which we hear a lot. Oh, that's right. We did not get the Columbia House story. I love the Columbia House story. So we'll... we'll We'll do this again and maybe we'll get it. And one of these days I'm going to find out what the deal was with the Columbia House Record Company. Do your research, JR. Next time we do a podcast, you can give us the lowdown. Okay, I'll try my best. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at The Rushcast. Email Jerry for two reasons. Number one, tell him what you thought of our Rush Origin Story podcast at therushcast at gmail.com. And if you want to be part of a future one, let Jerry know. Sure. We'd love to talk to you. The rushcast at gmail.com. The base intro and outro, that's Lex. And Jerry, I hope you have a great quote to wrap this up. Of course I do. Do you want to guess what song it's from? God, I have no idea. It's Ghost of a Chance. Oh, Ghost of a Chance for Tina and Lawrence. That's right. I don't believe in destiny or the guiding hand of fate. I don't believe in forever or love as a mystical state. I don't believe in the stars or the planets or angels watching from above, but I believe there's a ghost of a chance we can find someone to love and make it last. Awesome. Congrats again. Thanks, Jer. All right. See you later.